Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to Office Hours. So many editions of it. We don't even talk about it. Almost 600 with so many extraordinary guests. And we have a new uh, criteria that we found out with our friend Jerry Colonna. He's the co-founder and CEO of Reboot. Uh, from now on, the amount of time you get to stay on this show, including my host, is how good you are. So uh, go ahead, start your clocks, and we can determine how good Jerry is by how long we uh, let him stay here before we cut him off onto the next guest. But uh, all right, all that's it. It was good aside, seeing you guys. See ya. <laughs> Great seeing you. <laughs> that's hilarious. This is an office hours reunion, and who else to start the reunion? The man who wrote the book on reunion, how leadership and the longing to belong is truly impacting everyone today. Jerry, welcome back to Office Hours. Well, thanks for having me, guys. It's good to see you. And I really enjoyed that little clip at the beginning. It was very impactful. Yeah. Thank you. We got some cool people doing some cool videos. Um, this longing to belong, uh, we do so many interviews, all three of us, really seems to be at the forefront today that People don't feel like they belong. Um, and so for me, I was wondering, how is this need to be in a community, uh, how that really is impacting us today because people feel separate, which creates engagement issues and anxiety and depression, obviously. Uh, why is this longing so uh, impactful on you know, providing a reunification of productivity, accessibility, and gratitude in our lives? Well, let's take a step back, okay? My first book was called Reboot, and I released it in 2019. And a core belief system is that we all are united in wishes for love, safety, and belonging. We want to be loved. We want to love. We want to feel safe physically, emotionally, existentially. And we want to know that we belong. I asserted that. And I asserted that part of the process of growing up and becoming a better leader, better adult, was to understand the roots of that in our own lives. And a funny thing happened after that book came out. I was overwhelmed by a wide variety of people who don't look like me, who had different experiences than me. Classic example is a, a friend of mine named Joy Tenday, who emigrated from Zimbabwe to Ireland. Very different experience. And at the end of a talk, she came up to me and she said, your story is my story. Hmm. Now, I want to hold that thought for a second and jump ahead. David, you talked about where we are right now. We're at each other's throats right now. And you know what? Babies are dying as a consequence. I'm not taking sides except against babies dying. I'm taking sides against hate. And when you put those two thoughts together, you kind of unite those two thoughts, you get into an interesting notion. If we're all seeking love, safety, and belonging, if my story is your story, if your story is my story, then how the heck do we get away from this separation, this polarization, and to finally, to put it in a larger context, those of us who lead, I think we have a responsibility to look at these questions. Because again, the, 
the stakes are so damn high. How many days, how many times do we have to bury children? So that's what I sought to answer in this book. What is our role and responsibility? Not for me. I'm fine. I'm 60 years old. I'm fine. But for my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, for all the players to be named later, my descendants. That's the book. Wow. Mr. Diamond, you perplexed? No, it's just we were talking about... Um before everyone came on, two great books called The Body Keeps the Score and It Didn't Start With You. And Jerry talks about ancestors. Um, can, you, can you talk about, because there's so much generational trauma and you, you're talking about that kind of hate that goes from generation to generation to generation and people don't have the self-awareness to look at right and wrong on a moralistic level and go, this is just not right. I don't care what someone else is telling me to do. There right. is like a value code here. You don't kill babies. I don't care where you're from. That's you right. don't kill babies. You so, do, like, can, can we start as a baseline? We yeah. don't kill babies. <laughs> right. How do we have, how do we get okay. so skewed? And, and unless, let's go. Unless, and it's level pa- up. unless it's Passover and then <laughs> God is okay. <laughs> All right. That's a, theo- a theological argument. You'll have I'm that joking. argument. But, you know what I'm saying. I'm the rabbi brother. My rabbi but brother let's add, But let's add to it. Let's add, well, let's not kill grandmothers. And no, I agree with gra- you. Right? So in, and so in your book, let's go into, like, when you talk about that generational trauma and that really flawed ancestry and, and just belief system that is, it, it's dated and it's horrible because it's separation and non-inclusion and it's not love. So can you talk right. about that in your book and how you, because people don't want to talk about that. People don't yeah. want to take responsibility. They're like, well, this is just the way I am. It's my culture. It's cop out. Again, one of the first concepts that I've been working with uh, as a coach, I've been coaching now for about 20 years. I call it radical self-inquiry. It's just a catchphrase to describe the, the, a kind of inquiry process to answer the question, how am I organized? Why do I do what I do? Just before we got on, I was talking to a young woman, an entrepreneur based in San Francisco of Korean ancestry, who wants to bring some of my work to Korea. And she was telling me about the startup community there and CEOs there. And I just paused and I said, to what degree is the fact that the peninsula is existing in a ceasefire state for 70 years? Okay. We don't talk about the fact that there's no peace agreement, that that war is still technically underway. And I said, to what degree do we talk, do we not talk about, or do they talk about the repeated occupations of the Korean Peninsula? And what effect is that? She said, grandparents all carry those wounds but nobody talks about it. So Mike, you talk about, it didn't start with you, the basic premise of the way in which intergenerational trauma shows up. What I'm trying to do is bring out the way intergenerational trauma shows up in people who have power, in people who are in leadership positions, 
and people that were asking to set policy. Look, for as long as I don't know how old you guys are, I'm 60. For at least half my life, we've had broken immigration policy in the United States. At least half my life, if not longer. When are we going to solve this problem? <laughs> right? Sure. Yeah. When are we going to make a difference? Because again, babies are dying. And I speak it dramatically because I don't know how, I feel like grabbing people's ears and pulling their face in and saying, this is really bad. This is really bad. Yeah, Jerry, I, I agree. The thing that comes to mind for me is <clears throat> we look at the world that we live in. It is the most technologically advanced time in history. Statistically, we live in the safest time in history. And when you go and measure the opportunities in front of you, you live in the most opportune time in history. What do we need to do as humans to start course correcting all these horrible things that we continue to perpetrate and perpetuate time and time, generation by generation? Okay, I just want to pause and say, God bless you for asking that question. Because it's actually a hopeful question you're asking. It's a question about, okay, so what do we do? Where do we go? So the basic premise of reunion is that there are a set of reunions that we each must do. We must reunite with the parts of ourselves that we'd really rather not acknowledge. The fact that I have hatred, the fact that I myself have benefited from conditions in the world that I say I don't like. I must acknowledge those parts of me. Secondly, we must acknowledge and really relate to our experience of our ancestors. I don't know where you all come from. I don't know, but I have ancestors who were from Southern Italy and ancestors from Ireland. We ignored the ancestors from Ireland. And we ignored them because, because my father is, was adopted at 18 months old by an Italian American family. So reuniting with the experience of who they were so that I know to whom I can belong, so that I can then lay the foundation so that I can hear your story of belonging and actually be fully present for that. Not to, 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 to solve all the world's problems, but so that we can actually come together and do something hopeful. And last question, only because you're so damn good at this and I'm enjoying and learning so much. Um, forgiveness in the process of the reunion. For every ba baby that dies, there is naturally within the context of human nature, a new generation of hate. It's, it's a very difficult thing to forgive. It is her is a, a there's probably not a word of atrocity like you said babies are dying but the worst part of it is that for every baby that's dying we now have birthed a generation of hate that statistically throughout history and human nature becomes an unforgiving generation which makes it statistically almost impossible to stop the hate 
How can we utilize forgiveness in order to effectuate a reunion to teach people, to empower them to forgive the unforgivable? Because I think at its crux, if we focus in on that power, we can solve this quicker than any other thing we can do. Yeah. I, I First of all, I agree completely with the need for that kind of forgiveness. And may I point out that all of our elders in every wisdom tradition have advised us to do the same thing. This is not a new phenomena. Okay. <laughs> yes. Pick your tradition and you can find the advice and counsel that says forgive. But I think that there's something else that we need to, to two other pieces that I would add, and then we, you know, we'll, we'll close it. The first is really try to understand who benefits from division. I know that this sounds terrible, but we all know there are political agents who weaponize suffering and they benefit. They maintain power. They maintain maybe financial gain. And that's where the evil really lies, is the people who maintain hatred. And those people, we don't look enough at them. The second piece that I think goes along with your point, David, about it, uh, forgiveness, it's redemption. One of the things that we saw in South Africa, one of the things that we saw in Northern Ireland is a way back. Is a way back who out for those who out of their own suffering commit violence. That is critical to ending these cycles. Now, I'm no expert in mediated settlements. Heaven forbid, I'm barely an expert at writing what I write about. But it seems to me that this is a critical component. Looking at who's really pulling the strings and benefiting and how do we redeem people. Amazing. As always, Jerry Colonna, please help us all unite and reunite, reboot and boot the freedom and peace, the love, the safety and belonging that we all strive for. Check it out. Jerry's new book, Reunion, Leadership and the Long to Belong. It's a must read. Reach out and please promise us you'll come back. You've uh, had a few credits for extra minutes, even. They're so good. <laughs> we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. It was delightful. And I give uh, you a real thumbs up, not one of those fake ones that Mike had. Yeah, now the fake one won't come up. <laughs> <laughs> See you, Jerry. Have a great holiday. You too. Take care, guys. Bye, buddy. Bye. Great job. He is so damn smart. I love that, man. I love the fact, finally, when Jerry's here, I'm not the smartest one in the room, so it works for me. That is my, can I say that out loud? What is Hubris. the matter with me today? Hubris. It must be Wednesday. Must be Wednesday. <laughs> Don't worry, fellas. You can redeem yourself. I promise you. I forgive you. Anyway, uh, we're about, again, not to be the smartest ones in the room uh, with the founder of the Academy of Resilience. Resilience is a science to me. <laughs> It's a necessity. It's a true superpower, someone that can be consistent and persistent in the pursuit. 
of their patrol. And Stacy Copas, thank you for joining us to teach us about uh, common denominator of all successful people, the resilience, especially within the context of sales. Welcome to Office Hours. It is an absolute pleasure and a joy, and I'm grateful to be here with you guys today. Well, we're grateful to have you. And, you know, everyone has a different relativity to resilience. And today, I think, Mike, you stated as you've been traveling the whole world, like how blessed we are, how easy things are. Mm -hmm. And yet level of resilience that's needed somehow has never changed. The relativity of our basements comparatively to basements when a cyber saber-toothed tiger is chasing you is still the exact same measurement. Um, and whether in your personal circumstances of having a dating accident to some entitled little shit that didn't get to eat dessert, uh, it's still in perspective a requirement of resilience in order to move forward and to get better. Um, for you, because your basement had a basement, you know, what were the lessons resilience that are created when our basements are much uh, lower than not getting dessert? Yeah, look, as you said, it's it's, it's all relative, isn't it? And um, but yeah, for me, um, I I needed to overcome the you know the the incredible adversity at just twelve years old. I actually had a devastating accident where I actually broke my neck and drowned in a relative's backyard swimming pool and. Prior to that, I was um, I was a talented athlete, and um, you know, doing incredibly well academically. And so, you know, being told that I'd never walk again felt like a death sentence. So I, I would say that you know it probably doesn't get um, a much lower than that. And it's interesting because the word resilience wasn't even something that even came across my radar until much later. And I would say in those first few years, resilience was probably something that I didn't have a lot of. Um, I think at that point it was just pure survival more than anything. And and I think when we're looking at resilience, because a lot of people talk about resilience in the context of about coping or, you know, they talk about bouncing back. And for me, what I've in, in my own personal experience, what I've discovered is I think that that's, that's almost a little bit of a low bar for resilience. So I kind of feel that there's more to it than that. I see resilience is how can we actually become stronger by being challenged? How can we learn? I see resilience as it's like a capacity that we build and it's something that we, we can build proactively. And when we build those things proactively, then some of those little things like, you know, when the people's entitlement mentality kicks in, and I would say that entitlement mentality is probably like my, it's my mortal, mortal enemy. Um, it's a bit of a mission to try and get that out of people. Um, but resilience is the thing that helps you to be able to deal with everything from those small conflicts, perhaps with a child that won't do what they you want them to do, to those truly devastating things that do happen in our lives, like you know, losing a loved one, um, having a serious accident, illness, you know, natural disasters, you know, huge loss, those type of things. So resilience is something that is foundational to all of those things. And again, it starts with how do we cope? But ultimately, I see it as like, how do we grow? How do we grow through challenges rather than just go through them? Incredible to go through what you've gone through. You, you, do you still live in Australia now? Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in Western Sydney, so I'm coming to you from the future today. 
lived in Sydney. So here's a question for you. Growing up in Australia, I faced a lot of adversity, but I always found until I came to America, there was a different shift in mindset in living in America, especially living in New York, where it was a lot easier to be resilient because I was around people that were really driven. And that's not taking away from Australians, but the, the socialism, it's a lot safer. You come to America, the capitalism, it's a brutal place, America. And it taught me to be resilient, but I also had an environment of people that were as tough as me willing to work. And I wasn't brought down for being driven. Do you find that that was hard for you? And it, it, it just, it's because you are very driven. I mean, David Goggins calls you out as a badass. That's legendary. But being an Aussie, I know what it's like sometimes, you know, sometimes you're driven and you're strong and you're resilient and it scares people. That's why Australia still has that tall poppy syndrome. So do you still find you, you hit back at that when you try to tell people, let's go? And they're like, yeah, but and you're like, no, let's go. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's always been an issue here and um, and I've definitely seen it. And it was one of those things like even when I had mentors and obviously it's usually people outside of us see something in us before we see it ourselves and so I had mentors that said you know Stace you need to share your story you know if you don't you're being selfish and I was like no but I don't want to talk about myself because everyone's going to think I'm a total wanker for talking about myself because we were brought up in Australia you know don't don't say you're good don't stand out don't celebrate success I grew up in a house where I would listen, I would observe my parents watching the news and there would be someone that was super successful or a billionaire and they would they would just cut them down so yeah. hard. So there was never any model of it's actually good to strive. So I, I found that, um, you know, that was huge. And um, just before the, the pandemic, I actually came over to the US and Canada and I, I did this whirlwind trip because I really wanted to explore what it would be like to actually start to work with some audiences over there that, you know, an Australian audience, like you could you could give them so much stuff that would change their lives and and they would just sit back and let us have a little slow clap. And the same audience in the US would be on their feet like, cheering because they've actually got more of a commitment towards their own self-development and wanting to be better but also the element of wanting everyone to be better so everyone sort of cheering each other on and motivating each other whereas in Australia and I think even more so as a woman there's even more of that tall poppy thing that goes on because it's the other women that are more likely to cut you down than anybody else. So it was definitely scary. And I'll never forget the first time I, I, I was on a stage sharing my story for the first time and I was terrified. And then at the end, it was like a standing ovation. I was, it was five minutes. I had people laugh and cry in five minutes. And for two days, people coming up going, because you said this, I'm going to do this. Like this made so much of a difference and this is what resonated. So that gave me that encouragement and that was like 11 years ago now. But there's a massive difference in that that mindset. There's a real victim mentality here in Australia. It's There's always that, the entitlement. And, and I think because, you know, we've got free healthcare and we've got all this sort of stuff and like it's great. I would, wouldn't want to trade it. But there's that element of entitlement rather than I need to actually work for what I get. 
Yeah, and Stacey, I mean, that's kind of universal. I mean, you see it a little bit closer there, but, you know, David and I grew up here in the States and we see it here as well. And, you know, it's one of those things I think is just, it's universal to the human condition. Um, one of the things I, I constantly am, am battling with and trying to figure out how we solve for X is when when these horrific things and unfair things happen to us, right? Now, obviously we all can agree life isn't very fair but we have an opportunity to do something with it. And, and I'm always thinking about how do you turn your, your pain into something that's prominent and powerful? How do you transform your trauma into triumph? And, and I think so many people just get so unbelievably trapped in the worst thing that ever happens to them. And by all means, like you deserve to, like I'm not taking that away from anyone. I'll never take victimhood away from people because damn it, at least it's something. What do you do? Like, like, what was the bridging of the gap in your identity from, fuck, I can't believe this has happened to me to actually, I'm going to use this to make the world a better place? Yeah, there was a, there was a gradual thing, but the biggest shift for me was when I realized that I couldn't change what had happened, but I could change the story I told about what happened, both to myself and to others. And I could change what I did next. And that was that was a starting point. But the, the biggest where the exponential forward momentum came was when I actually became grateful for what happened. It was when I was like, I am actually genuinely grateful. And so many people go, how the heck can you be grateful about ending up a quadriplegic and needing a wheelchair for the rest of your life? When people spend time with me, they realize very quickly that I'm genuinely grateful and I've had opportunities I would never have had had my life taken the path it planned. So to me, the starting point of anything like this is, is gratitude and it's actually going, I'm grateful for that because you can't feel bad about something you're grateful for. So even in the, the worst moments, I, I, I say to people, stop and say thank you and it just shifts the energy from negativity to openness and abundance and possibility and that's where things start to change so gratitude and I know David you talk so much about gratitude and um, it's again it's changed my life and I and I like to use that to help change other people's lives too and you are and one of the things is I watch you and take things to a different level of understanding awareness and knowing is just the understanding and knowing and awareness of outcomes and even within the context of the holiday season with giving leaving witnessing giving receiving lies this understanding of protection and promotion or meaning uh, that we give it through gratitude and as previously mentioned with the last guest forgiveness um, and we can't take control of our lives uh, we can't be at ease with our lives until we, number one, admit one thing, that we have no capability of understanding or knowing or being aware of how valuable an outcome is. Uh, we can put judgments and conditions, we can listen to what other people think, we can compare the analysis of what we wanted for our lives and what we got. But in the end, it is that gratitude and forgiveness that brings the control to our lives that we're protected and promoted, even with what other people may think as being punished. We are protected and promoted by some horrific things in our lives as individuals and as communities. Um, and 
you're an icon for that. And everyone has their basements. Some basements have basements. Uh, some are unforgivable and some are unthinkable and some may be unachievable uh, as a basement of where we can be. But the first step and the only step uh, is in that finding the gratitude. And if somebody would have asked me, and I'm sure when you were 12 would have asked you and I lost everything and had to tell my mom that I had lost over $100 million, including her house, and she had to move. If somebody would have told me that I just didn't understand the outcome, that I just didn't understand it, that was my problem. It wasn't that it was a horrific thing. It just I wasn't aware of or didn't understand it. I would have told them to F off, get the F out of my way. And yet today, I will tell you, like me, I'm so grateful that it saved my life. I'm so grateful that it led me to being here with all three of you and all the amazing things I get to do in my life because of an outcome that I didn't understand. And I hope everyone takes away and uh, definitely follows Stacy and learns from her because it's the lens there. Also, she applies in sales as Resilience Rock Sales of being able to take the perspective and be able to articulate quantitative value of that perspective and nobody better to do that than Stacy. I look forward to visiting you down there on my next uh, Sydney tour. The people down there, I didn't ever saw entitled people. Maybe I'm from a different neighborhood, but they certainly seem kind and fun. And Mike uh, Diamond is absolutely as well an illustration of how cool people are down there. And so are you, Stacy. Make me one promise. Please come back uh, on our other show. Join both Michaels in doing content with them because the world needs more of you and we need to elevate others to elevate ourselves. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. And absolutely, I'd love to come back and jam with you guys again. Have an amazing day. You too. Happy holidays. You too. Bye. That's awesome. She brings the love, the safety and belonging uh, to our show. Uh, it's it's hard to be um, our normal bullshit selves uh, <laughs> when it comes oh. to it comes to bringing a guest on like that. It's easy to give Jerry yeah. bull, bullshit, but not her. Um, all right, let's go to takeaways real quick, uh, if you guys don't mind. Uh, who would like to give their takeaway of the day? Brad, can you go yeah. first? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, I. I mean, I'm just so inspired by everything that we just talked about. I mean, really, it, with with both Stacy and Jerry, I mean, it's unbelievable the capacity that we have as human beings to take these really complex understandings of the world and to parse them down into things that are not only practical, um, but are things that actually, when we implement them, can change our world and our environment. You know, and it's there. There's no it's hard not to say this without people getting pissed off, but it's like, if your life sucks, you need to take a look in the mirror, right? You need to take a look in the mirror. You need to do the work. You need to get in connection with amazing people like Jerry, with amazing people like Stacy. learn, and then do whatever it takes to have the life that you want to have. Guys, we're here as three testaments heading into the very end of 2023. And what I recognize in us and so many of the amazing people, especially who watch this every week is like, we're showing up. 
We're still doing the work. It's still hard. We still screw up. You know, both of you have had these horrible moments throughout the, the, the course of the year. And so have I, and we've just course corrected and we weren't willing to just sit in our own bullshit story. And when you see people like these two who are just like, this is the path. The thing that I always take away is like, am I paying attention? And, and that's something that I want to carry into my 2024 with a lot of energy and a lot of effort is just like fucking pay attention, man. You know what to do. I love that. You know, people, um, what I love is they're very introspective. And I realize now that we've got to spend time alone with ourselves. We've got to stop blaming what's going on in the world. Like I had people all day, the election's coming, this is coming, that is coming. I'm like, work on your stuff, work on yourself. Figure out what you want, why you want it, how you're gonna get it and spend time alone. You deal with your feelings, wrestle with your feelings and get clarity and stop blaming. The world's gonna be the world. Figure out your part in the world and figure out how to bring value to people. You know what I mean? Cause it's, it's just what it is. It's hard, it's hard for everyone. You know, it doesn't matter how much money you have or how much money you don't have. It's still hard, but get, get, get okay with your feelings and with yourself and work. And we all work. We know how hard it is. We, it just doesn't end. It's work that has no end and that's okay. But get used to it. It's hard. You know, it's like a remember years ago, I had an athletic coach. He said the greatest thing to me. And there was a kid that was more talented than me, but he wasn't as driven as me. And, and we were running hills and it hurt. It really hurt bad. And we used to run till we puked. You know what he said to me? And the kid wanted to quit. He said, just go home and enjoy your mom making you soup and food. He said, okay. And he goes, but you'll never be a champion. Once you get comfortable in that bed for someone else trying to save your butt, you'll never run a hill again. And he never reached his full potential, right? And he was better than me, but I just kept running up those hills and I didn't look for the handout. And it's still now it's hard, but it's okay. So enjoy the hard because it's the hard that makes us great. For sure. Um, my point with these two extraordinary guests is the relationship between gratitude and forgiveness. Um, and talking with Jerry, it was he starts with forgiveness to break the chain of separation. Uh, and these separations, as he's talking about, is as a collective community of generations of people that are separating separating themselves for a future generation. And if we start with forgiveness in order to clear that interference and separation, and then utilize gratitude to find the light, the love, and the lessons in that forgiveness to break the chain of the future hate. Uh, an unforgivable incident occurs. How can we forgive the unforgivable in order to effectuate breaking the chain of hate which is a natural response to that which is unforgiven. And gratitude is the tool in that case in which we can effectuate uh, that by finding the light, the love, and the lessons in the hate and be able to stop that chain or, or genetic and energetic chain that we create from killing babies, for example. What's things in, in talking to Stace is that you start with gratitude when the punishment's already there. And that punishment is a predictive injury of emotional, physical, mental uh, relationship to ourselves. And we have to start with forgiveness when 
you know, we have an accident or we lose everything or uh, a relationship fails or a deal doesn't go through or you don't get your dessert, whatever your perspective is of punishment. <laughs> but we have to start in that case with being grateful and then actually forgive ourselves for the lack of abundance in feeling punished. In, in feeling punished. See, when other people punish other people, we start with forgiveness and give gratitude. When we feel punished within ourselves, we utilize gratitude first and then have to forgive ourselves. In order to then use forgiveness as the secondary tool, in the first case we use gratitude as a secondary quote. There's brothers and sisters that both in one order or another need to be utilized in order to be inspired in spirit, to be passionate, purposeful, and profitable in our lives to have that perspective when things are hard, voice shortages and obstacles occur, struggles, defining moments, historical relevances are somehow in the wrong perspective. But if we do this, what it will do is confirm one thing, that we exist in a unified abundant system, a unified infinite abundant system that we all are loved, we all are safe, and we all belong. And that I take away, I feel love, safe, and belong when I'm with my two Michaels, even though all three of us share so many common threads, but yet we all look and feel so differently. Uh, we are all the same and part of that system. And hopefully we're elevating people's awareness of the community uh, when we bring us three and others into the room here on office hours. So I will not see you guys till after the holiday here. We will catch up next week before the new year. I'm sure we'll have more extraordinary guests, more extraordinary lessons to learn together. Uh, I'm going to give the real thumbs up. What has two thumbs and love the mics? Right there, baby. Right there. Two thumbs. Real thumbs, not false ones. I love Mike and Mike in the morning, and I love Mike and Mike on office hours. Thank you both for joining me. I'll see you guys soon. Thanks, Bye, guys. Man. Love you guys. Bye. Love you. Love you too. Have fun. Have a great holiday. All right, everyone. We will be back tomorrow with more fun. We will be and always have for almost 20 years, 24 years and counting our holiday training, the meaning of giving. It's another uh, extended version of how to have the right perspective and giving in an abundance. Join me 6 a.m. on Friday. For over 24 years, I've been doing these trainings every single Friday or relative to that every single week. And holiday trainings, this will be the 25th version of it. Join me if you are not registered, over 100,000 people are, david at dmelzer.com. That's about as easy as it gets. If you want to follow us around the world and want to be alerted of where we're going, we're going to be in Vegas next in Nashville. Go ahead, text me, 949-298-2905. I'm doing a conference with Dean Cook, having a CES mastermind as well. All you got to do is text me, 949-298-2905. Join me in Las Vegas, January 9th and 10th. I'm sure Michael and Broken will be there because he lives around the block. Uh, I love everybody. Be more interested than anything. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow. Enjoy yourselves. Thank you, everyone.